hit the subscribe, the follow, the like, the share. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say hit share, I'm not talking like what Sunny used to do. <laughs> 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 And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the End Podcast, where we talk about films and stuff, and comics and stuff, and, you know, just stuff, basically. I am part of your regular co-hosting team. My name is Matt, or if you've come from How'd We Get Here, then it's probably Spanky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and with me as always is my darling co-host tim tim how are you i'm great man how are you <laughs> all the better for hearing that wow what an introduction i like it oh, <laughs> uh, feel free to edit that out if you like yeah no 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 or make it the <laughs> oh no I, I just say i edit the episodes <laughs> oh goodness me so today we are going to be talking about two films what a surprise yeah we're going to be talking about bottoms which is a kind of coming of age rude comedy and we're also going to be talking about the creator and if this non-existent editing goes well you'll think that we did them both at the same time (laughs) (laughs) but before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode remember we take all this time talking and watching and making notes and editing and uploading and making all these cool little cards so if it's your first time it's your first time with this be like ashburn be like brussels and become a regular that we give all this loving attention to. So if you're finding us on YouTube, then remember there is the full episode of the podcast and you can find that on all your favorite listening locations. And we are the end pod and that's from Spank Media. So if you search the two together, you should be able to find us. And if you are, we also have an Instagram and a Twitter. that is the end underscore pod and a YouTube, which is the end one shots. Thankfully, all that's out the way. Let's get into the first of the two films, Bottoms. It is an auteurist. Auteurist? I can never get that word, Tim. Can you say it for me? I say auteur. 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 No, otters are the little cute creatures. I never say that out loud. I always, like, read it. Auteur. They're the cute creatures that they, you know, where they hold hands when they swim on their backs and stuff. That's an otter. Yeah, that's it's what you've been emphasis. saying. No, that's what you've been saying. <laughs> no, otter or what? So it's a posh otter and otter. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you got it. Otter. <laughs> it's like at some point in the last, the last five years, I'm pretty sure this hasn't always been the case, but New York has become New York, like New York. Everybody's saying it, and I don't understand how it happens. 
Because near, near York, not New like York. New, it, New York. New York. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. New York. New York. Yeah. New York. Really? Yeah. New York. New York. New York. It's like one <laughs> word. New York. <laughs> well, thankfully, one of our, one of our regular listeners is European. So I think that's one on each of our sides, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So the other direct, writer director, Emma Seligman. And it was part written, and also one of the lead actresses, Rachel Sennett, who did a sterling job in last year's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It also has A.O. Edderbury from The Bear, which is a pretty good series. I think we both agree. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and she plays a very good role in each. I really had a fun time watching this one. I liked it. I laughed several times, which is good, out loud, unexpectedly. Yeah. The characterizations were really good. And its posture, extreme irony, didn't ruin it. Usually I hate where everything's got parody of of a joke, you know? Mm -hmm. This towed the line really well. Everything outside of the inner circle was deeply ironic, but the core of it was emotionally true and real to what I remember it being like to be a teenager. So I thought it was good. Yeah, I I loved it. I loved it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, thank goodness, because our October schedule's been a bit mucked about by the either lack of or delayed releases in the United Kingdom cinemas. So when I found out this was on VOD this week in America, obviously I got the plane and went over there and watched it in somebody's house, and I definitely did not steal it. (laughs) (laughs) I can confirm there are televisions in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) But I really liked it. It's a comedy that we've been calling out for since Superbad, since American Pie. Something that's unapologetically funny. It was overflowing with jokes and it was not afraid to be stressful and comfortable. And it wasn't this kind of static comedy where you watch things, like what we've been fed so we now accept as comedy, like Booksmart, when really it's mm-hmm. not. It's just like a drama. Rachel Sennett showed like she has this growing dexterity because I thought she would kind of be like almost like a one and done after Bodies, Bodies, Bodies because she played mm. that Valley It Girls with such a genuineness. I thought, oh, maybe maybe she was kind of typecast for the role and kind of being herself. She had this brutal selfishness that I think people have yeah, yeah. much more relatable than another antagonist that has a heartbreaking backstory or a main character in a comedy that, you know, the writers were afraid that they'd be cancelled if they went into it too far. I thought the days of these types of comedies were lost and gone. It's such a shame that it didn't have a wide release in America and it wasn't even released in England. I think it was out for two or three weeks and it was only on limited release. These are the kind of films that are stuffed on a streaming service. I wouldn't be surprised if they were just too nervous to actually buy it and stick a Netflix mm. brand on it or to stick a Amazon Prime brand on it. Did you watch the comedy with Kelly Kuoko and Pete Davidson, the time loop film? Meet no. Cute, it was called. Really good. It had this melancholy side to it, but at the same time was quite heartfelt and it had some funny moments, but it wasn't actually a comedy. And that's the kind of stuff. Uh, There was one with Maya Hawke as well that was out recently, something about revenge or something like that. Oh, I wanted to see that. I missed that. Kind of got half an hour through and I was like, maybe fell asleep. I was like, I probably won't be coming back to this one. Yeah. Yeah. 
to pick up on what you were saying about it having the pastiche of a late 80s, early 90s shock comedy, but yeah. it really lent into it in the same way that the Terrifier lent into horror. It really treated the inner circle of it with the kindness of truth. And totally. it was embracing of tropes, but it was almost completely self-aware as well. And again, the way that it adapted, similar to Terrifier, it wasn't jokingly, it didn't have a, a soundtrack or a score that was played jokingly for laughs and over-exaggeration. This was Charlie XCX that did the soundtrack. She did a very similar job for the Barbie film as well. So I just felt nice after watching it. And in actual fact, I rewatched it this morning. I've been doing some DIY and I thought, well, mm -hmm. I have the time. Instead of sticking some football analysis on or whatever, I'll, and I just listened to it. And it's a bit like with Guardians of the Galaxy, where the more you watch it, you know what the punchline is, but it's the expectancy of when it comes. And then some of the scenes I'd walk over and go, oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was very, very fond of this film, Tim. I don't get the title. What's the, why is it, what's the title mean? Do you know? I haven't got a clue. <laughs> It's so weird. Yeah, it's so strange. <laughs> Thinking about that, I can't figure out what the reference is. So the title is Bottoms, obviously, but the, the movie is about this. It's like a high school fight club. These girls who are gay make up in order to like sleep with other, basically the cheerleaders. Mm. And I have no idea what Bottoms means in this context. I think it's kind of a play on Porky's or something like that. Okay. Yeah, or like the way that American Pie was a one of the rudest of the film American Pie. And I think this is yeah, probably yeah. just, it's like a rude title for a rude film kind of thing. Uh, there might yeah. be more to it. I don't know. I don't know. And with it being basically a gay coming of age film, we said when we watched Happiest Season that it was the first film when we didn't notice it as a gay relationship film at Christmas because it wasn't, I mean, this does play to it, but it plays to it in the way that any teen drama does play to the set over sort of, well, I don't know if it is over-sexualization because, I mean, you do silly things and you have silly ideas as a teenager and you almost yeah. have this falsehood of almost preciousness over the whole yeah. sort of coming more sexually aware, if you know what I mean. There is in your head this quest element to the whole thing when you are Yeah, there is. It, the movie really does embrace that, yeah. And you just have all these silly, almost storyboarded chain of events where everything goes according to plan and this happens and then this happens and it ends up in a certain place. Forgetting yeah. that your sort of shy, retiring character of most teenage boys will never end up at that position because if you were capable of this elaborate series of events, then you wouldn't need to have <laughs> this elaborate series of events to actually get to the yeah. conclusion. And with that as, as well, and this is something I think modern SNL falls foul to a lot. So comedies about feminism or social activism, they always end up coming up a bit preachy. And the joke mm -hmm. is, oh, not everybody is a feminist or not everybody is socially active. Ha ha, look at these people that aren't this. Whereas this just fully embraced what it was. Where these sorts of films have fallen foul in the past, when you have, it's a group of lads, they just allow them to be dudes and to be stupid and put them in perverse situations where they panic and they don't really know what to do. And the ones that work, they're not trying to crowbar women into it that produces a poor film like the Ghostbusters remake, which wasn't that bad. But if you're going to do that and you know you're going to upset people, concentrate on making, first and foremost, a good film. You've got to 
let the chicks be chicks still, not just dudes by proxy, I think is is what I'm getting to. Yeah, totally. And there's so many great little details in it. Like some of the jokes are really funny. I think these are probably more American references when they're making fun of each other and talking about having gay sex at Wesleyan or like munching cooch at Sarah Lawrence. Those are like funny <laughs> little references that made me laugh because they're such tropes. And then like having the football players, so the antagonists are this like group oh. of football players. And yeah, the yeah. entire time they're walking around school in their full ass football uniforms, like pads, cleats. You can hear as they're walking down the hall. So I thought mm. that was like very funny. Not the Josie character. What's her JP or SJ or something? I forget yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, sentence name. Anyway, PJ. She's, she's wearing lesbian overalls the whole time. These little <laughs> details that are so funny. Oh, yeah, I thought yeah, were yeah, yeah, like yeah. tremendous, just like tremendous. So I thought it was just a lot of fun. It walks that line of absurdist for everything outside of the essential characters, but it treats it with a belief and a sort of matter of factness. Yeah, like they're firebombing like shit. Like, <laughs> so, so that stuff is just like so off the wall. But there is that core of truth to it that is really tempers that absurdity with this emotional core, which is just, I thought, great. I thought it, it like worked both ways. And like you said, there's so many genuinely funny lines or comebacks. Because as you said, they start this fight club and it's built on a misunderstanding that's not corrected that one of the girls has a. I don't know, like she's hurt her arm and it looks like it might be broken. And one yeah. of the characters was kind of like, oh, did, how did you do it? Was it in a fight? Did you end up in juvie? And she was like, no, we did not. She goes, I can't believe you're in juvie. So yeah. this kind of lie spirals out of control. And then there's a fallout in the group and one of them tells somebody that she shouldn't do it. And then they get exposed as liars. Um, <laughs> and there's this one scene where, and they have to get one of the teachers on board, right? To, he's so funny. He is. Do you know he was an ex NFL player? Oh, yeah. He's like a famous NFL player. Oh, is he really? Yeah, he yeah. Like a so big deal. And, yeah. They're going through them all, sort of looking solemn into the distance, getting on with their lives. And he's doing like, famous women who have died in history like <laughs> <laughs> and then he just goes to his classroom and it's got feminism and he just chalks it through <laughs> yeah he's so disappointed at, at the lie that he's fell victim to so marshall yeah. lynch yeah, he plays the faculty advisor to this fight club it's, he's mm. great he's very funny in it and it's brutal as well isn't it you feel this fight club oh yeah it, yeah it feels There's like broken noses and blood just like the actual like the original fight club they show up to school with just like fucked up faces because they've been yeah. fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> For a comedy as well, it, I mean, it's not groundbreaking, but in the way that I think Get Out paid attention to camera positions, wide angles, they switch to handheld when they're in action sequences. Uh, this isn't something that is common in comedies. Smutty raunchy comedy to have that attention to detail with this sort of cinematography yeah and i thought the two leads they play so brilliantly off of one another i mean they, their personalities are so different they're played so differently and they, they just work so so well perfectly matched rachel senate she plays, rachel senate okay plays the extrovert whereas ao edabiri plays the introvert uh, PJ pulls Josie into all the yeah. all these situations. She's like, "Look, I didn't even want to get involved in this. Like, and now we're in fucking trouble again." And yeah, like I said, there's this relatable 
or relatably selfish and honest way with with the character PJ. But Josie's quite quite nervous, always taking a step back. And this really clever thing that uh, Ago, Ao, sorry, I'll just correct that in my notes. <laughs> Ao, she kind of plays that Michael Cena role and nervously adjusts the cadence of the way she speaks for effect. Uh-huh. Like she'll she'll overemphasize a syllable at the end or at the start of a sentence. It's these little details that makes it more than just another raunchy comedy. Like it's very much a modern comedy. They're really magnetic actors. I loved watching those too. And Ruby Cruz, who plays Hazel, she was fantastic as well. Oh, she's great too, yeah. Yeah. And and there's another girl in the group that's kind of like, they're all sharing who feels like they may have been assaulted. But even that was played for jokes because Rachel Sennett said when they're sharing in the group, she goes, okay, let's start with who's been raped? And everyone's looking at each other. Including the grey area stuff, and they all put their hands. <laughs> no, they all raise their hand. And then, and again, it's that sort of bluntness of the character that plays so well for jokes. There's another girl in the group that's always going on about what do you want to get out of it, and they're saying, "Oh, female empowerment. I want to be able to protect myself." And then it goes quiet, and one voice comes up. I want to kill my stepdad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this that really noise, the noisy character was good for jokes, but I think in one of the traditional gross-out comedies or raunchy comedies, that character would have been combined with Ruby Cruz. And in actual fact, I think her role would have been 100% made for Mary Elizabeth Winstead 10 years ago. And, yeah. and the way that Mary Elizabeth Winstead played it in Birds of Prey, there was a bluntness, but there was a stupidity to her as well. So it's almost like that character from Birds of Prey has been separated into two characters. So when Hazel has these soft moments or these earnest moments of, I know you did it for the wrong reasons, but look what's actually come out of it. You actually feel when she's attacked or you actually, when she saves the day at the end, when they need to cause a distraction and they're going to the cheerleaders, you need to kiss. You need to kiss. (laughs) And then she just runs in and kisses PJ. Here's another thing that it does really well. At that moment, it wasn't like the Laney Boggs in She's All That, where the final reveal is it only took a makeover or or you just needed to believe in yourself. It didn't drive the plot towards the two best friends actually realising that they loved each other and they were chasing totally. these impossible dreams of cheerleaders. It just played it straight. And... I don't even think it was done as a misdirect, but it just didn't lean into, it didn't lead, in, lead into the, I won't say bad, but the well-trodden path it took, that took those bits and held them for parody, but at the same time drove its own path into, again, something that was quite new, very self-aware. Yeah, just a great film, Tim. I'm so glad I fell on it this week. Yeah, totally, totally. And when you mentioned that, when the one remember says that she wants to kill her stepdad it reminded me like how so many of the jokes have layers to him like so she just blurts that out in the middle of this meeting which, <laughs> yeah. which by the way is itself a ruse because they're oh if we have this emotional little circle time it, mm. it'll make the girls mm. fall in love with us or it'll be easier to like get these cheerleaders because they'll find us to be like deep and emotional or whatever yeah, so there's yeah, like a yeah. ruse to that as well but when she blurts that out we don't know what her stepdad did 
we're thinking like he did something horrible. But in fact, the only thing he does is he wants to spend time with his fucking stepdaughter. And now yeah. she wants to kill him because of it. Yeah. So Friday movie. So oh, he's always banging on about these Friday movie nights. Like, like leave yeah. it alone, John, or something like yeah. that. And then that, was, I, and that then, was so funny, I thought. And then she says, Oh, what about, you know, is anybody what about the gray area stuff and they'll put their hands up and then it's the comic timing of it it's that little pause yeah. and she goes well you know you will know about my stepdad yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the poor bloke the poor bloke so they play that, that that's like a running joke and we finally get the reveal that oh no he's mm. just like want to spend time with her i thought it was funny there's loads of clever stuff like that when um when the football players and they're all on the pitch for like what's it called like a rally or a cheer or something like that yeah it's like a and that's rally, when yeah. a pep rally and they expose them as frauds and the dishonesty of the group that they've set up and the football player is saying yeah they only formed this club so they could get to fuck cheerleaders and i was like the irony of the football player saying that totally yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I I picked up on so many more of these little nuances when and I think especially because I was listening to it as I was painting, touching up the paint in the living room. And and I would actually advise people to do it because I hate painting and I usually give in. I go, Oh, I need to let this bit dry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> we'll do that bit when we get the second coat on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is a genre that I, I just adore. And so when it works, it just works so well. You know, yeah, I, I, mean, lo- I love movies that, that like this. I love a coming in, like a teen coming of age movie that pulls yeah, it off. It's just, it, there's nothing like it. Edge of 17. Is Edge of 17, is that the one with Haley Steinfeld and Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one is so good. Oh, my God, so I love good. that one. I did a Google search one day when I had a bed day and I just went through about four or five of them, just one after yeah. the other. It's such a good subgenre of film. It really is like so uplifting. You always really feel is. great after movies like this. You know, it's like you're rooting for these characters, these kids. It's it's some, I don't know. It it works on every level, this movie. It's very funny. It just lands overflowing with jokes you find yeah. yourself laughing out loud it's not just a nodding going oh, that's funny yeah yeah that's funny it, but you are nodding the whole time yeah and then like belly laughs outright laughing like every like three minutes it seems like mm, mm, yeah right mm. so yeah i think i think we already said it but just to confirm uh we don't give it a mark out of 10 because you can't seven out of 10 watch something you either watch it or you don't so tim yeah would I would you? definitely send people to this. Hell yeah, dude. You know, I bought this one on Prime for $14.99. And at first I was like, motherfucker, why can't I just rent it for $3.99? And now I'm glad because I want, I gladly give them my $15 mm. for this movie. Well, yeah. similarly, last night in preparation for the creator, I watched Monsters, Gareth Edwards. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? Let's just see how much it is to rent. $2.99. Great. I'll pay that. I'll pay that because the guy deserves it. How much of that he'll mm-hmm. ever see, I don't know. But yeah. yeah, there is a satisfaction in paying for something. There is. There is. And I wasn't yeah. pissing about on my phone. Mm-hmm. Totally. This one grabbed your attention immediately. I mean, it's the first like 30 seconds of dialogue. It's an attention grabber. For yeah. Sure. What? Where do you think Rachel Sennett can go? She's certainly not a... 
Smart. Oh, Mia Goth. She's certainly not going to be a Mia Goth, but I think she can carve a pretty successful career. The dexterity she's shown in Bodies, 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 and then this. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I generally think that somebody who can do comedy really well, they can translate that talent into other things. I think it's harder to be a straight actor and to do comedy than it is to be a comedic actor and do straight, you know? Yeah. Um, and she does, and she does both in this movie. I mean, she is hilarious. There are many moments where it calls on her to be like a dramatic actor and she does, she nails it. It's actually believable despite the fact the film's so absurd. Yeah, totally. All right. Totally. On to the next film then, Tim. All right. And we're back. Although, to you, the unbeknowing listener, it's been seconds. So it's the magistry and magic of recording podcasts in two parts and then sandwiching them back together. And nobody's nobody's the wiser, are they, Tim? Where are we? Is this like a week later, actually? Uh, it's probably about a week later, give or take. Okay. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're going to bring that's... the exact same enthusiasm and register as we did. Yeah. So unless we I... told you, you wouldn't know anything. I only wish I'd... I listened to it before we started, uh, Bottoms, because you've already told everybody how you are. And I just want to make sure, you know, there's no continuity of errors. That if you oh, were having a good true. time then and now it's, you know, what's, I mean, a lot's changed, hasn't it? Oh, week? I'm much better now. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we I all actually, are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's wait a couple more episodes before I explain why I'm so much better. Because there, yes, yes, yeah, one hundred percent. But let's say there's <laughs> been there's been some shaking and moving behind the scenes, and yeah, uh, we have a reformed joy. <laughs> yes, a levity. Let's say, yeah, without getting too like ecumenical about it, we're uh... <laughs> there, there is a light that's been seen. <laughs> so the second film that we watched in the last week <laughs> is Gareth Edwards' Auteurist. <laughs> I remember that much from the last episode. Auteurist. Like, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's Auteurist, not Otterist. Otterist. Right? <laughs> it's a posh otter, Otter. <laughs> oh, dear. It's his Auteurist vision, the creator, which is a sci-fi I don't know, what would you call it? It's a sci-fi kind of war film, isn't it? So it's against the robots, there's been lines drawn in the sand. Um, I was thinking, Tim, actually, do you think it'd be a good idea to, at the beginning of it, if we play a little bit of the trailer? Sure. I don't. Yeah, because I don't know how widely known this is. Yeah. I'm not sure how much it's been promoted. I, not uh, at all. In actual fact, I only heard about the film listening to um, The Weekly Planet uh, late in the week and they said oh what's out next week and they said well the creator's out and I was like what the fuck's the creator so I went in went on YouTube and I was like how have I not heard about this I only knew about it two days before I went to see it wow. and, and I heard about it from you after you heard about it obviously. yeah it's wild yeah. and we like films like a lot yeah yeah I mean <laughs> I don't know if anybody's noticed that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I'll cut in a little bit of the trailer and then people can get like a, a bit of a, an overall perception of what we're talking about somewhere. Yeah, I would say other than in the immediate setup, the nuclear weapon being exploded on LA, this felt to me like an AI 
like a Vietnam film, honestly, kind of a little bit. That's exactly what I came out of the film was. I was saying to my friend Dan, who I went to see it with, I was like, I was getting like platoon sort yeah. of apocalypse now sort of, vibes. Apocalypse now, that's what I was thinking vibes, but it's entirely AI robots and, and the whatnot. But we'll get onto yeah. that. Yeah. So, what were your general thoughts on this one, Tim? I generally very I liked it very much. The things I liked about it, I loved about it. I have a few nits to pick with it, which we can get into. But in general, I would definitely send people to this movie. I, I liked it. It's very thought-provoking and worth watching. And I think there's interesting things to admire about it and places where it is quite morally ambiguous, which is interesting to think about. So I liked it a, a lot for even the flaws I, I liked, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I liked it quite a bit. How about you? Oh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I came out and I was wow that was a good film and i couldn't wait yeah. to speak to people about it i was very aware of some of its faults it just didn't bother me at all if you've got a concept and you really push with the concept like is story that important the sense of time in the films a little bit prolapsed as well it could happen in a couple of days or it could happen over maybe a couple of weeks or a month or something but mm-hmm. in actual facts where Okay, let's not go too far into details, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, but I was aware of its faults afterwards. And actually yeah. looking at re- other people's reviews, doing a little bit of research and a couple of interviews with Gareth Edwards and, and whatnot, that there seems to be like a very, very wide spectrum of what people think of this film. Some of them see it as flawed genius. Some of them think it's just a Xerox of Akira, of E.T., of Terminator, of mm-hmm. Blade Runner. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I think if you enjoy the film, then it it's welcome homage. But if you don't like the film, then it's an easy one to slander it with. So the one thing that nobody has failed to point out was specifically how nice this film looked, but then within the context of his budget as well. Um, oh my God. The film looks amazing. And it looks not fantastic. just the huge set pieces, even... Even the cinematography as regards close-ups on people's face, these yes. small spaces in between action are, like, beautiful. The last shot of the movie was affecting to me. Yeah. A close-up I, on Alfie's face, you know? Like, it resonated in a way beyond the emotion of the characters. It felt like you were dropped into almost um, like a frontline reporter. You were seeing it mm-hmm. through the lens of a frontline reporter. Now, the interesting thing is Gareth Edwards, a little bit of history with Gareth Edwards. He made a film called Monsters, and it was from 2010. He filmed, and all the post-production cost him about 800000 And what he, and this is one of those criticisms that I've seen, that this, the creator could just be a complete analogue of Rogue One, and it has takes some of the elements from Monsters as well, and He's basically just remaking the same film every time. I mean, he also did Godzilla, but I can't remember very much about that, the 2014 Godzilla. Mm. So after watching The Creator, I was so excited about Gareth Edwards. I was like, oh, what else has he done? And then this is only his fourth feature, and the only one I hadn't seen was Monsters. So I went back, paid for it, watched it, more than happy to. There's basically a probe comes back from outer space, and I don't know if it was like a meteor or something, it comes back and it has like a pathogen or some kind of bacteria on it that starts infecting uh, Mexico and then out of these spores grow 
giant alien creatures. So there's an area of quarantine, basically. And the crux of the story, the main character is having to rest. He's a reporter, frontline reporter, and he's told by his boss to rescue his daughter, who's in Mexico as well, and bring her home. And what they did was Gareth Edwards and the three main cast members actually did the road trip that the characters were supposed to through Mexico to get back into America. And they actually traveled through the, the jungle and the villages. When there was a nice location, they filmed a scene for the film. And then Gareth Edwards did all the CGI for it in his bedroom on his computer. Damn. Yeah, exactly. So you can see how he's, one, he's very capable, but two, he has an ability to see a, a route that maybe other people don't do. It's one thing to have ideas, but then to be able to have the application as well. And with that in mind, with the 80 million budget on this, you can't, with the creator, you can't overemphasize how great it looks. There was no motion capture. He filmed the whole film, got the edit locked, and then they put the CGI onto the people afterwards. For instance, there's all different kinds of AI, isn't there? The robots, the modern ones that are kind of humanoid looking when they have a human face. He said they tried to take out different parts of the head to make it look robotic. And they decided that putting it through the back, because the easy thing would have to just have had a disc on either side. But he said that was too mm -hmm. well-trod a path for making something look robotic, kind of like the hinge of the neck. So they, yeah. this tube in the back of the neck yep. that is completely void added in post-production. In some of the older mm. versions, he had home projectors. And he'd use those as the heads. And he said he had to tread the line when he was doing the older ones to make them look more primitive technology, but not to make them look so basic so that they looked cartoony and it became a kid's film. Yeah, yeah. Everything was shot on real locations, shot with $4,000 cameras and the Sony FX3. There's almost no extras in the scenes, you've just got the primary characters and all the other people there are just people that were in those scenes. They are natives to wherever wherever they were on the AT location. And because the cameras that they chose to use had such a great light absorption that they didn't even have a lighting rig, which also allowed the people around them to not, the local people, to not be startled by the fact that there was a film being made because every, all the technology was like, well, $4,000 cameras, there's no lighting rig, it's only two or three people. It's absolutely crazy. He realised when you create a set, it costs a minimum of $200,000 in general. And he said, well, what if we have a small crew and we just fly them around the world instead? Mm, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to critique to me about how the film looks, I mean, it's just so gorgeous. And I, that's it's so interesting. That's the method that he used to do all that. Gave him the capacity to have 360 degrees on every single shot. And I think that's one of the things that makes it feel lived in and you get the real scope of the world. We've said about the Marvel films, especially Ant-Man and Love and Thunder, <laughs> you can tell they're on a soundstage because it doesn't feel like there's anything over that hill. You are very much on a set. Whereas this, because it was actually filmed on location, you feel that there's always something beyond the camera. And totally. yeah, it's just magnificent, really. I don't know if it's been released in the Far East yet, but the way that this was filmed, it felt like it abandoned the three-act structure that Western audiences 
have come to expect. It's had a very linear path of storytelling, continuous. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you feel about how the AI was not rendered on screen, but as an entity? I thought it was very fascinating to see how clearly empathic I think Edwards is towards at least some of these AI characters. They mourn their dead. They care for the sick. They have organized religion. When I saw like the AI in a temple in their monk robes and shit, yeah. oh my God, that is like, that just like blew my mind. I'd never even considered AI being existing in that way. And, and some of the other stuff that was just so fascinating, some of them are frail. Like there's that one scene from behind where like the old woman AI is like walking up the hill yeah, a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That is such an, you know, wow. How, how interesting because what it does is it reflects us back at ourselves. So it was a very useful way to engender empathy towards not these people in particular, but a society capable of like nuking <laughs> a major city, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we should yeah. probably say there's uh <laughs> now we're like half, half the way through <laughs> the review. So this story is John David Washington who plays Joshua, and he's kind of I'm getting too old for this shit, brought back for one last mission, forced into it to recover the weapon. There's this big floating Death Star type thing that tracks around the world in any AI hotspots in new asia who has become mm-hmm. a, a safe harbor for the for the robots for the ai beings whereas it's been banned in america because there was a nuclear bomb that was dropped on los angeles it eviscerated anything the length and breadth of that part of america they created this geosynchronous vessel ship that travels around the earth and any projects this beam of light in crosshairs, in literal crosshairs, yeah. to destroy any any AI harboring hotspots. Now, when Joshua David or John, when Joshua or John David Washington or Joshua David Washington, <laughs> really matter, when he finds the weapon, it turns out to be a small child. And I thought, how clever for the robots because what would be the hardest thing to kill? like a baby or like a puppy or something like you're never going to like, it takes an extra lack of humanity or a a lack of pathos to actually be able to kill a child. And he does struggle with that. However, there's a vision told that Gemma Chan, who plays Maya, who was his wife, who at the beginning of the film, they have this almost off the, the books, off the sort of network safe hold. And he's exposed as an undercover as an undercover operative for the the US. And she's heavily pregnant. And as she tries to escape, she's like, you know, you told me you were done with all this, but you were just undercover. As she's trying to escape, the thing in the sky puts the crosshairs on the boats and just blows them to kingdom come. So Mm -hmm. John David Washington's character, Joshua, thinks he goes along with it. And he basically, because he thinks at the end of this journey, he might be able to find his wife again because he's giving the glimmer of hope and I think again that was one of the very things that that's one of the things it did very well because you never know through the film if it is just selfish motivation until the climax is he just keeping the kid alive because it's a way to get to his wife if she's still alive and is he only fighting for selfish reasons that at sometimes 
do align with one side or the other. I thought that was a really clever thing. How did you feel like the AI was depicted? It's clearly a proxy for American invasions of, you know, in the Middle East and in, in Vietnam in the past. They did enough to make you question what does it mean to be alive? The film didn't ask you the questions, but it presented the AI in a way where you were saying, well, are they alive or what, or are they just robots? Is this just another step in programming? And the way that they humanized them, like you said, the one thing that I noted was they have to sleep because they need to recharge. So they plug in at nighttime, they go to sleep and it did humanize them to a point where you had sympathy, but then you questioned your sympathy as well. Yeah. And there's that one scene, that brief scene where, so after Maya and that stronghold, and he's exposed as a sort of undercover agent. After that's obliterated by this Death Star, it's called Nomad. The movie goes back to the States five years later, cuts and you're five years later back in LA. And he's part of the crew cleaning up Los Angeles and trying to like de-radiate yeah, it and yeah, all that. Yeah. And there's that one scene where they they pull this AI that they think is just a heap of junk at this point out of some, yes. something. And then it sparks to life briefly. And it's like yeah. panic. Like where's his, I thought it was like his kid or his wife the thing's panicked yeah because yeah, yeah, like yeah. he was in the, he was in that explosion and it tells you it's not just ai destroyed la and therefore a million human beings it also destroyed probably innumerable ai as well so they yank the power out of this ai that's panicked and he's basically bought into now the fact that like oh it's just programming but the woman he's working with they're in a crew of two she's stunned taken aback she now understands like wow they are alive or like to yeah, response yeah. to that. And I thought that was a very, that was affecting. And on that point, one of the things that I really appreciated in this film was the editing again, the pace of it. There was very short. It reminded me of the first part of Oppenheimer when I wasn't bored to tears <laughs> because they had a big story, a big build up to set the scene. And it was really quick edits, maybe 30 seconds to 30 seconds to 30 seconds. And the way that can be adopted to cause shock is directly after the scene that you were describing, it goes to this massive trash compactor where they're getting rid of all the defunct AIs. And then you just see one starting to crawl out of the top and try to get out as yeah. it just closes in on it. So you've, yeah. oh my God, I've just got these pimply, pimply wimplies. Because oh, that was like you yeah. said, the juxtaposition between the almost completely humanizing them to the next scene, which was completely dehumanizing. It was showed up, not tell. This almost to its fault, I've heard in some reviews that there was almost no exposition in this film. They did the little flashbacky bit at the beginning to show you in this. Do you think this was, this is like a parallel earth, isn't it? This is like another version of the earth. Because it kind of goes back to the 50s when the sort of mom and pop adverts... Yeah, with the robots who are helping people bake cookies and that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then to the current days. So it does set the scene just so skillfully edited. And I, oh my God, that's so true. That was like, and, and that shot of that massive pit of like funked AI was like, oh yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it evokes some very, very strong emotions. Yeah, totally. Some fucking crazy historical parallels that are like, I was about to, to say, exactly what i was about to say 
lining people up on this like mass grave and shooting them into it like that's what it felt like yeah, almost yeah like we yeah, didn't yeah. see that but like you can imagine there is a lot there is a scene though there is one scene that evokes that directly mm. it's in the yeah, yeah, it's yeah. one of the temple scenes where they just shoot some monks on the side of the road and move on so you can yeah. imagine yeah oh man that it, was insane it's a very thoughtfully made film on top of the editing like the sound engineering was something that was particularly well done there was a scene quite early on where they had a radio heads on oh that was so good it was so good yeah yeah in the way that christopher nolan just doesn't seem to be able to get the balance of the sound engineering and the, and the voice acting or the actors voices the consistency of people speaking and then the way it raised up and it expanded this swallowing use of soundtrack came in gareth edwards he is a very technical director is that from kid a or um i don't remember what song that's from but Dude, so I'm... great oh my god that was so immersive when that music started and that scene that was so so excellent so there's one point before i forget there's there was one point where i had to rush off to the bathroom really quick and i the whole time like i came back and i feared did we get an explanation like i the, i feared that i missed the some explanation or some mention of the events precipitating the nuke do we ever get any answers to yeah we do and we do I, so this is what happens basically and uh and it leads on very well um i'll just say one thing about the sound engineering that in, at no point it was visceral and had verisimilitude and it was immersive but it didn't do even what spielberg does and things like save it prime ryan band of brothers the sound of the warfare wasn't overbearing mm. you were visually tuned into it and that balance between foreground and background it's an absolute masterclass of the technical arts of filmmaking can I just mention one thing about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your point, like there's the scenes where the nomad is flying overhead or orbiting overhead. And basically the missiles it launches are catastrophic. They're not nuclear, but they're completely annihilating. <laughs> and there's that scene where the boats like Maya is killed or we think she's killed in that uh, escape scene. The sound, it feels like it's not just a it's not just a sound of a missile exploding. There is distance to the sound as mm. if you are really standing a thousand yards away. And there's that as if you are in the position of the character, what you are somehow on the shore watching it. Like there is subtlety and thoughtfulness to how the register of the sound. And we've said that it leans quite heavily on, I wouldn't say tropes, but themes in other properties, you know, from probably the late seventies, early eighties onwards. One of the criticisms of it isn't the technical aspects, it's the storytelling. Now, I think it's just lazy. And I used to do music reviews for a local magazine. I used to really struggle with them because when you talk about a band, you talk about the songs and which ones hit and the introduction and the pace and the way it makes you feel. But when you have 10 new bands to describe each month or every couple of months, you can't just say listen to this song, it's great. You have to think of a new way of describing what makes them good. I've never been a musician, so I don't know the technical aspects of it to go into that. So what I had to do was, I'd listen to a song over and over and over again until I got an image in my mind. Music paints pictures. 
or takes you back to a memory, but songs all have a unique feel to them. It's almost an emotional fingerprint. And that's what I used to tap into. And I describe it almost, almost in prose than in an editorial way. And that's the way I got around it. It's an easy thing to say, oh, they're five lads from Wigan. They sound like these guys. It's like, yeah, do that fucking 10 times every month and I'll be the same as the next boring. Well, that's what we said about our interviews. We're not asking who's your dream, if you could write Batman, what, how would you write like, How did you right. get into comics? Like, oh, fuck off. Like, go and, read, go and listen to one of the other 10. It's boring. So I think it's just as lazy when people talk about this film to say, oh, it's like Terminator. Oh, it's just Blade Runner. Okay, you've noticed these things, but aren't you just describing the sci-fi genre? In the right, same, totally. in the same way that the Hangover was thematically like Step Brothers, because yeah, it's just lazy. It's like those things in the most abstract way. They're both sci-fi. Yeah, Terminator involves AI. You know, <laughs> in a set in the fucking future and in the past. Like, okay, got it. But it's not. These are not the same films. These are not. No, they're they're not. No. You can get you. You can you, you can get things out of both of them. And, and yeah, maybe they're thematically linked, but they're not. That said, it isn't without its faults. I think some of the action, I think the middle hour and a half, how long was this film? Like two hours? Two hours and 15 minutes about. Okay, let's isolate the last half an hour and the first hour. And then we have about 45 minutes in the middle, which was we go to this location and then we need to go to another location and then we need to go to another location and on every single location there was another battle or they found somebody else and it just turns into another gunfight and again i think this is where the similarities are to more of a, a anime or a manga storytelling whereby it's fluid from start to finish it doesn't have the western three act structure or i kind of think it's closer to four because you have an introduction you have your event you have your loss and then you have your win yeah. Most people combine the introduction with the event, which I suppose is fair enough. There's a preceding and succeeding part of the story to each of those four turns. But in either case, that might be why there's not word of mouth on this, because even to the extent... So yeah, the first thing that I was aware of when I was watching it was the fluidity of one action set piece to the next, to the next, to the next. I thought there may have been a point where there was a pause for breath. And I suppose that did come in the sort of Shaolin temple type thing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was still another action set piece. Did you know that Maya was actually the creator? No, I didn't. Like... And I said this to Dan when we left the cinema. So Maya is the daughter of the original creator. And the little girl who is the weapon was actually created from a blueprint of the unborn child when Maya was killed. So mm-hmm. it is in actual fact Joshua's daughter that he's mm-hmm. been protecting. So I didn't know that. There was a couple when they found Maya was a coma mm-hmm. towards the end when he finally finds her and the robots say to him, you need to let her rest, but it's against our programming to kill anybody. So you have to turn her off sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and to answer your question... At that point, you think, well, yeah. So at that point, it's not a surprise, but you're thinking, well, if they can't hurt people, then how did they drop a nuke on Los Angeles? And it's a very throwaway line when one of the robots is saying, like, fucking people, you can't get anything right. 
we didn't even bomb LA. It was just a fault in your coding. Mm. Wow. Okay. So the whole war was built on a lie. Oh, wow. The AI just want to be left alone. They don't want to fight at all. Wow. That like changes everything. It changes everything. And with that twist and with the Gemma Chan, the two mayor twists, I didn't see any of them coming. I wasn't expecting that kind of film. So every time it happened, I was like, no. Wow. So wow. That that's wow. I'm sorry I missed that. Cause that that like does change everything. Well, yeah, it was like when me, <laughs> me and Tara, when we both went to a turtles and we both fell asleep. And we were like, when did you fall asleep? After about half hour. I was like, yeah, me too. For new listeners, and by the way, if you are a new listener, please hit a subscribe. If you've made it through to the, you know, almost to the end of the second review, then come on, hit the subscribe, the follow, the like, the share. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say hit share, I'm not talking like what Sunny used to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, me and Tara, I nipped out for a piss and I came back walked into a cinema and I went back to my seat near the front and I was like, fucking hell, they're still talking. And then there was the lovemaking scene. And I went, are they fucking again? I was like, <laughs> I was like oh shit, I'm in the wrong screen. <laughs> oh, so, no. so Eternals was so boring. I didn't even realise that there was so much standing around fucking talking that I didn't even realise that this was a, wasn't the same bit. So I quickly hurry back into my screen. I sit down and then I'm comfy and I nod off. Me and Tara take the episode. And I'm like, Tara, why is everybody saying the robots? There was nothing to the extent of that. They must have seen a different film to me. And it turned out me and Tara had fallen asleep at the exact same point for about five <laughs> to 10 minutes, where there was this big, big scene of exposition to say, yeah, you're all robots. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's almost like the whole film hinges on that one moment. Wow, yeah. So basically then your engendered sympathy for the AI is earned. It's not, they are in, a, in that sense, innocent. Yeah. And that's the point as well, where Joshua starts to look at the problem more holistically. And he isn't exclusively doing it for selfish reasons. He still wants to find Mayer, but he understands that there is a bigger purpose afoot in the- There is an interesting thing later. about this too, Matt. This idea of- there are times in the film where they talk about this idea of AI, this notion of evolution. Mm. So this whole chain, this revelation now that they're in some ways innocent does direct me kind of towards that because remember when they're trying to recruit Joshua and, and Allison Janney, the Howl, the villain, basically. Yeah, she, she talks about Neanderthals. They had all the things that AI has. They mourn their dead. They had religion. They made art. It just so happens that some species, us, came along that was smarter and meaner and just eradicated them. And she's like, that's what they're going to do to us. In point of fact, no, not at all. They're actually, they are, in, in fact, in, in some ways, evolved mm. versions of human beings, because not only do they have all of the, all of the interpersonal and in sort of human characteristics of actual human beings, but they're actually peaceful, <laughs> unlike us, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah that is yeah. That could cause an existential crisis, realizing that there is a species out there that is, it truly is evolved beyond what we are. Mm -hmm. What was the little girl's name? I feel like we should mention her. Alfie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the girl? Yeah, I don't know Alfie. the actual girl. It's her first movie I read, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, there's one other thing about Allison Janney I wanted to add. So like we said, Allison Janney is the antagonist. She's running the ops to try to eradicate all these last vestiges of the AI. There's that scene where she explains why she's like so gung-ho about this, about mm -hmm. her son, remember? Like she lost two kids. Yeah, and, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. Powerful scene. Yeah. That was such a good way because you could easily kind of caricature her as a fucking military asshole. But really, yeah. Yeah, but you can see her motivations right before one of those missions. Kind of made me a little bit sympathetic to her. The ability to cry at that moment as well. Because when she's telling the story, you thought she was feeding him horseshit to make him get on board with the mission. Then she she breaks, she cracks, and she cries yeah. a little bit, and her, her voice sort of crackles a bit, and you think, oh, okay. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to you want to add to it? Any, no, any no other I don't points? think so. I think we hit all the points. I guess we just do what we usually do. Would you send someone to see this, Matt? Oh, without hesitance. Yeah, I love it. I hope that this film has a legacy. If it doesn't manage, I mean, 80 million, this film should be, oh, good God. I mean, could you imagine if this was the next Marvel film? I could know. you imagine? I mean, he did Rogue One, which I actually think is the best Star Wars film. Like, I love that. Even if you caveat Empire Strikes Back with its age and everything, Rogue One is a better film for me. So I love Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And I hope, I hope that this, at least from Hollywood's side, that Gareth Edwards is now seen as, if not a bankable, but like a reliable filmmaker. Totally. And I hope this I ends up, I agree, I hope it ends up having some legs because it would be nice to get to prove success off of something this grand in scope that is not part of some pre-existing ip mm. one of the final things that i'll say is this story was very much the character in this i don't think in, sort of in the way that avatar um didn't make stars of any of its cast members zoe saldada was or saldana i always fuck her name up she was very much already making her career progression outside of that and the way that avatar is the story and the mm -hmm. characters are almost secondary the actors are almost secondary to it i, I felt like that where almost the um james cameron is the star if you know what i mean sure and no, yeah completely yeah and, and i only worry that gareth edwards has done taken that approach to it a little bit too soon now i'm not saying put will smith in it or i'm not saying put Denzel Washington in it but maybe if there was just somebody do you know what I mean just somebody to get the because the, there's been no exposure I just don't understand it I don't yeah. I should have been looking forward to this film all year because this yeah. is it ticks every box it's cerebral sci-fi it's enlightened it's it has it has a heart it has it has weird little creatures. It looks beautiful. It just, everything about it lights my ring, but I'm sort of floundering that it hasn't become the thing. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. No, it's, yeah. yeah, totally. But yeah, I'd recommend it. I imagine you would as well, Tim. Oh, definitely. I would definitely send, send somebody to this. Uh, I thought it was a very uh, unique type of, notwithstanding its homage to, you know, its predecessors. This, this is very... Yeah, yeah, yeah unusual in this day and age do we have time to do a quick what we've been consuming what we've been reading or watching yeah yeah have you been Let's watching anything or, 
or reading anything you'd like to recommend? Well, um, most of my reading has been for the pod, so we're going to get to that <laughs> yeah. in due time. No, honestly, I haven't really. I just fired up Mindhunter last night. I was going to watch, have you ever seen this, the uh, Netflix movie? Uh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's David Fincher, isn't it? Yeah, so that's what I'm going to be watching over the next couple of weeks. So uh, maybe next week we can. I'll have something to report on that. But I honestly haven't, other than stuff we're reading for the show. How about you? Um, yeah, pretty similar actually. I'm scratching my head. I've I half started a Geiger from Alex Patnadel, uh, but then I dropped onto the podcast, and I think. It might be his magnum opus at this point. Really? I'm hearing, yeah, it's really, really good. But I've only got a couple of issues in, so we'll see how the journey and the conclusion takes me. But yeah, it's really, really strong. It's actually not too dissimilar to the creator, actually. Um, there's an AI robotic sort of presence in that after a sort of mass extinction event. And yeah. Oh, I've got to stay on Harley Quinn, the animated series. Oh, how is that? I, I've never watched it. Well, I thought the first, here's the my problem with it. After six episodes, the producers, I think there was something like 24 swear words in the first episode. And I think they hadn't reviewed them properly until they saw it on the air. So they set them a limit of something like eight swear words an episode. There's a grotesque little creature who does mind control and he calls the cat. A, he goes, ah, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and then that becomes a focus of the episode that he called like, or he called somebody an old woman or something, and then he was like, "I'm a villain. What do you expect?" <laughs> and they were like, That's "Yeah, but, but I mean, there's being a villain, and then." <laughs> <laughs> right. And I thought, "Oh, brilliant!" And then it's sort of, it was good. It was still funny. Kelly Kuroko is probably the best Harley Quinn that that there's been in. In my experience of either mm. animated, animated, <laughs> animated in live action, and then the second one was so bad it kind of made Poison Ivy the center of it, and she's great as a grumpy side character that's intrinsic to getting the plot going and creating situations. But you don't want a Mardi Bun central character. Like, she was good as the Mardi Bonsai character, but you don't want her leading. And I was like, do you know what? The swear words are just in it now for effect. There's no real story. The central character is not as good. But I don't mind saying the third series has now reached the levels of the best of the beginning of the first series. And, mm. yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I've been enjoying it. I think the next one's going to be... Uh, the next series has been set up, because it has, like, the Bat family in it, and it has Commissioner Gordon. And it has a coterie. It has the coterie of supervillains. Cool. <laughs> Bane's voiced in the style of Christopher Nolan Bane. So that's just... Oh, great. Cool. Yeah, it's so cool. But they make him a much bigger numpty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, I think I'm floundering a little bit after that. The creator, I kind of want to go back and read the uh, reread the uh, Mark Russell, Not All Robots. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to read again. Yeah, I really like, yeah, that was that was a great. I think that's one of the best things that AWA put out to be honest. Yeah, he is a great writer. Yeah. I've only read that, you know. 
Oh, he's excellent. He's he did the Flintstones thing from DC a few years back. That yeah. was probably the best thing that they've done in a long time. We'll sign off then. Say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Looking forward to the next time. This is a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. I am hot of your regular co-hosting team, Matt, aka Spanky. Remember, guys, if you made it through to the end, then indeed, please follow, subscribe, give us a like, tell other people about the podcast. And that only leaves me one more thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. Whoop, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs>